Romans chapter 3. We're going to look at starting in verse number 10 tonight. What I'd like to do tonight is, is give an introduction uh, to a what I hope to be, uh, if you know, if the Lord continues to lead me as I think He is, uh, what I hope to be an introduction to a series of messages on uh, on the beginning with the Ten Commandments, and uh, and before we can get into the Ten Commandments, now remember the Ten Commandments are the uh, are the the kind of the core, the beginning of what is called the law of God, right? And the law of God is, uh, is, is, encompasses a lot of things. It encompasses the things like the Ten Commandments. It encompasses uh, a set of sacrifices that God gave Israel. It also encompasses things related to holidays of Israel, uh, things that were clean and unclean, dietary laws and all those things. And you might ask, well, why would we study something that has such little effect upon us? Well, that's not actually the case. Uh, it is true that we are not under the law. And so I hope to look at that. Uh, we'll look at that some tonight. But, uh, but remember, you got to remember this. As we've been studying the book of Acts, wherever Paul and Barnabas, well, we haven't even gotten to Paul and Barnabas yet, but that's coming up. But whenever you see Peter, James, and John, or eventually Paul and Barnabas, wherever they went, you have to remember this. Their Bible was what we call the Old Testament. That was their Bible. So, uh, so this idea, well, the, the New Testament Christians don't mess with the Old Testament. Well, that's, that's not true. The New Testament is built upon the truths found in the Old Testament. Now, if you only have the Old Testament, if that's all you have, well, it's incomplete. Because the New Testament completes that. Uh, but uh, the Old Testament is the Word of God just as much as the New Testament, and its truth is just as valuable as the New Testament is. And so, uh, so we want to look at these things, and we want to start in Romans chapter 3. Now, as we get through the book of Acts, we are coming up soon as, as we get into the section of Acts that deals with uh, Paul and Barnabas going out as the first missionaries to the Gentiles. There are going to be, in around Acts chapter 15, there are going to be some questions that are going to be raised. And the questions that are going to be raised, remember, in Acts chapter 13 and 14 and 15, they have never, the church of God at that time, had never been confronted with the question of, what do these Gentiles, non-Jews, who have believed in Christ, what is their relationship to the law? That's, that is never, we, we look at that question and we're like, oh, oh yeah, it's easy, right? But at that time in the first century, that was still an open question. That had not been, been uh, settled up to that point. And as we get there, you're going to see why the things I'm going to talk about tonight are, are related to that. And so, uh, so just kind of keep that in your mind. So let's read Romans 3, verse number 10 through verse number 20. The Bible says, What then are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, I read 9, I apologize. Verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. 
There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for the opportunity to pray together in one, one accord, one heart, one mind. Thank you for hearing us. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who is present with us and in us. Thank you for this great salvation you've given to us. Thank you for Choice Hills Baptist Church. Thank you for what you're doing among us. Lord, please don't stop what you're doing among us. Continue to help us to grow as individuals spiritually. Continue to help our families, Lord, to grow spiritually, to grow in number. Continue, Lord, to bless our church and help our church to have a, a good sense of unity, a good sense of purpose to fulfill the mission you've given to us. Please, Lord, give us, uh, each one of us and all of us together, the kind of spiritual growth that you want us to have, to be more mature, to be more perfected, to be more like Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would help us also to grow numerically and that you would uh, touch the heart of people to join with us and to, uh, to take the right hand of fellowship and serve you together. Lord, our desire is that your name might be glorified through our church uh, from this place, from these people. Lord, we know that we're, we don't have anything to boast of. And Lord, whatever you do through us, Lord, we will give you the honor and the glory. And for this evening, Lord, we, as we look at Romans and Galatians, please bless our time together. Help us to understand what your word says and it would really sink down into our hearts and help us to frame our understanding of the law. And so we commit this time to you. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, uh, the first, uh, not, really, it's 9 through verse number 18, you have this description of men. You have this description of men. Now, in, uh, in verse number 10, it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. And it goes on. This is a quotation from Psalm 14 and also Psalm number 53. I just want to point out one little thing from that psalm that's important for us to remember. Psalm 14 says this, the, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. Now stop. Who's God talking about? They have done abominable works. God's talking about mankind. Now, how do you know that? Well, let's keep reading. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, here's the thing you need to understand and remember. What a person does is a symptom and an indicator of who they are, right? What a person does in our world 
it seems like all of our society has this idea that I'm a good person, but I just make mistakes. I'm a good person, but in my heart of hearts, I'm, I, I have a good heart. I'm a good person, but, you know, I have faults. This is the way people, listen, this is the religious philosophy of nearly everybody you meet you know, around, around you. What God says, on the other hand, is they have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. In other words, God calls the works that people do to demonstrate who they are. And the core problem is who they are. That's why you must be born again. <laughs> the problem is not, just, is not just a matter of what you do, and if you could just reform and change what you do, you would be different. No, the problem is that what you and I do, what sinners do, indicates what they are. It's, just, it's, it's downstream of what they are. This is why the Lord points out their works. The works testify to what they are. We'll see more about this in a minute. Listen, listen to what it says. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. So this is the part that is being quoted in Romans chapter 3. But notice who, it's, who the Lord is referring to. He's referring to the children of men that he sees when he looks down from his place in heaven. Now, sometimes when the Lord speaks, he's only speaking of his nation, the nation of Israel. But in this case, the use of the word children of men indicates that God's speaking of everybody without qualification. So go back to Romans. In verse number, in verse number 10 down through verse number 18 is a description. The Lord compares men's throats to a grave an open grave where you look inside like a tomb, like Jesus' tomb. You look inside just so you see, the, you see the mouth open. And this is what I'm referring to. The mouth is open no matter what the outside looks like. The mouth is open. It's like you're looking into a tomb. What's inside? Death. Corruption. God says when inside of a man is corrupt. That's why every, what's on the outside is corrupt because it's dead inside. This is the description. The use of, of, uh, of snakes, poisonous snakes, and asps, cobras, vipers, to describe the tongue, <laughs> the poison in the tongue, the way the tongue is used. This is what the Lord is saying about mankind. Not one of us in this room can look at this description and say, this does not apply to me. Now, as a believer, it definitely should not apply to us, but... Speaking of ourselves as the way we are without Christ, absolutely. Every one of us, it applies to us. So we get down to verse number 19. The, the page kind of turns. The page kind of turns and he says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. Now pause there a second. Who is under the law? In Galatians, the Bible says that Jesus was born. How was he born? Under the law. Who is under the law? Those to whom God gave the law are the ones who are obligated to keep it. And that's a, a reference to Israel. Why do I say that? Because when, you remember when, when uh, on Mount Sinai, when God gave the law to the children of Israel, he gave it to them audibly. In other words, they saw the mountain, they saw the burning fire. It looked like essentially a volcano erupting. That's basically what it would have looked, looked like. 
except they were right there. So uh, Brother Vernon told me that this volcano in Iceland is getting, they think it's getting ready to erupt and it's supposed to affect a 10 uh, radius, an area of a, with a 10 mile radius, a volcano that big. It's crazy. So the children of Israel saw this volcano, basically what it, how it's described in scripture, but they're right there and they hear the voice of the Lord and it's loud. It's like thunder and God audibly speaks to them the Ten Commandments in their hearing. You know what they said? They said, Moses, you talk to God. We don't want to hear his voice again. Whatever he says, we will do. You see, that, that's why the Bible says they're under the law. <laughs> they promised God in a covenant that they would keep his law. They put themselves under his law. God put them under the law. Who, to whom did God speak the Ten Commandments? Somebody help me. To Israel. That was the only people that were there. All right, so the Ten Commandments, properly speaking, were not given to us as Gentiles. They were given to Israel. That doesn't mean they have no, ref, no relationship to us. They most certainly do, which is what I want to talk about. But that's just, it's a matter of understanding that under the law means referring to Israel. But when the Bible says, referring to Gentiles and their relationship to law, the Bible says that the Gentiles are without law. They're without law. Romans 2, verse 12, verse 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 21 says that. The Jews were under the law. Jesus was under the law because the law was given to them and they promised they would keep it. Okay, so go back to verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. Now notice this. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Now, all the things we read about in the top, in verse 10 through 10 through 18 describe all mankind. And then in verse number 19, the law is brought in. Romans 5 actually says the law entered. But the law is brought, the law of God, the, the law of God, the commandments of God are brought in to make all that we read about in verse 10 through 18 that is already there, already in the heart of man, appear. Wicked and sinful. That's why the law was brought in. You see, mankind, ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, mankind has been living, a lot, living a, uh, in a way that is offensive to God's holiness. Right? It doesn't matter if there was a law, even Adam and Eve themselves, even their descendants before Moses ever came along, before Moses with the law ever came along, long before that, mankind sinned and it was offensive to God and His holiness. Because remember, the law is only a, is only a reference of God's holiness. It comes out of His holiness. And so mankind was offensive to God what they did was wicked in his sight. Think of Noah's day when God said, I've had enough. Violence everywhere. God was offended. God was angry about the, the sin of mankind. So God brought the law in. Not so that God would know that man had sinned, but so that man would know that man had sinned. All right, we'll see this more in just a minute. But... Suffice it to say that the law, the entrance of the law informed us. 
So God was already offended at the way mankind was, and mankind by that we mean all of us. God was already offended long before we knew anything about God or whatever. We were in ignorance. Mankind was just, just running around, just being wicked, killing one another, worshiping devils, worshiping idols, all the things that mankind is known to do. But what the law did is it informed us that our conduct, our life, was offensive to God. Because it's God's standard. Imagine as an example, how many of you have ever been driving your car and you've just been going along in a nice little clip, not paying attention, and you, you felt perfectly safe? You felt like, you know, you were just driving. You thought, well, this is a good speed. And all of a sudden you come, you come up upon a speed limit sign that is far below what your speedometer is reading. And you're, here's the thing. You're just minding your own business, driving, not paying attention. You, you, just, you think what you're doing is fine. You're driving down the road. You're just, you think it's, you're driving norm, normally and comfortably until you come across this 25-mile-per-hour sign. And all of a sudden, what seemed normal and comfortable to you because of the sign is now shown to you to be unlawful. It's now shown to you to be reckless. Now, the reality is, before you, you saw that sign, you were also driving recklessly. It's not like you got to the sign and all of a sudden you're reckless. No, before you got to the sign, it was already reckless, but you had no idea. You were just going on your way, having a, having a good old time, driving how you thought you should drive. But once the sign, you come across the sign, you not only find out that you're unlawful, but you're grossly unlawful. This is what the law does. It gives us the knowledge of sin and it helps us to understand that it is not only sinful, but exceeding sinful. Exceeding sinful. Now notice what it says in verse 19, that every mouth may be stopped. What's that? That's taking away every, taking away every claim of righteousness from someone who is in violation of God's law. Taking away, it's silencing the claim of righteousness. This is what the law does. This is what, in other words, say I was driving in my example, I was driving and the police officer stopped me. He says, and I say, well, look, I felt like I was going a good speed. I mean, I, I didn't feel like I was in danger. You know, what does he have to do? He said, come with me. We walk back a few hundred yards. See this sign? See this sign? What are you going to say? Nothing, uh, uh, uh. Your mouth is going to be stopped. Why? The law. You can't claim that you're righteous. You can't claim that you were driving at a safe speed in that case. The claim of silence, the claim of, of righteousness is silenced. And then it says, and all the world may become guilty before God. Here's what guilty means. Guilty means that which has offended or has been at fault. It means delinquent or criminal. You put it in common terms, to be guilty means you did it. You did it. And so what it means is the law of God has been brought, God gave us the law of God in order to make sinners who are already sinning to shut their mouths of their claims of righteousness and 
that they might, put it like this, that they might become aware of their violation. That they might be like, that they might understand, I did it. That's what it means to be guilty. I did it. This is what we commonly call conviction. This is what we call, you know, we say, you know, when someone, before someone gets saved, we say, or maybe even in our own testimony, we would say, well, I was under conviction. What does that mean? That is the awareness of one's guilt. That is the awareness of one's guilt. I, I am a violator of God's law. That's what the law does. I am a violator of God's commandments. It brings conviction. It makes us guilty. All right, look at verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Now, this is clear, in this verse is clearly stated the purpose of the law. Now, I'm going to say something about the purpose of the law later, but just hold it, you just put it in your hat real quick. Here's the purpose of the law. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law gives the knowledge of sin. But the question is, what is sin? If you would look at Romans 7 real quick, just turn there and hold your place here. Romans 7, verse 7, look at what it says. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Nay, I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. So the law is not sin. The law just lets you know where it is. It gives you the knowledge of it. In other words, you would not know something is wicked and wrong in God's sight unless God told you, and so He did. But the moment He tells you, now you're guilty. 1 John 3, verse 4, I'll read it, I'll read it to you just for time's sake, unless you just want to turn there. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4 says this. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. If you're going down, in my example, you're driving down the road and you're going at whatever kind of clip you think you ought to drive at and there's no speed limit sign, no one can claim you're doing wrong. A police officer has no case against you. He might think you're going too fast, but there is no standard. There is no law by which your conduct might be judged. So what God did is He gave us the law. Now, back in Romans 3, it says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in His sight. It says it very plainly. The purpose of the law is not to make someone righteous. Indeed, it can't do that. The purpose of the law is to give knowledge of sin, to make someone know what sin is, to know what is righteous and what is unrighteous. Now, here's all, I want you to understand something about this. Knowing sin and being aware of the guilt of one's sin is the first absolutely essential step for a person to be saved. It is not possible to be saved until you have become convinced and aware and convinced that you are guilty in God's sight of violating His commandments. It is not possible 
This idea that you're born into a Christian family and you just always have believed in Jesus. And there's never been a time where you have what we call come under conviction. I know that's, that's words we use. It's not really a biblical phrase, but the concept is absolutely biblical. That you have come under the awareness. You have been made, made to be aware of the fact that you are guilty before God. You are not righteous. You did it. When someone, listen, in a court case, when, when, the, when the, 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 the defendant stands behind the table, on the, the defense table, and the jury hands the verdict to the, to the clerk of court, and the clerk of court reads the verdict, what does she read, what does he read in that verdict? The verdict says, on count one. And they list the count, they list the charge in the law, and they say, and they says, the jury finds the defendant guilty. What does that mean? What does that mean, guilty, in that case? What it means is the defendant did it. That's what it means. He did the deed. There's no more doubt. He did it. This is what God wants us to see about our sin. This is what He wants us to see about our sin. Listen. If you have never come face to face with that reality, there is no way that you're a believer in Christ. There's no way you're a child of God. It is required. How can you understand that you need a Savior from sin if you are not convinced and aware of the fact that you, that you are guilty of sin? It's necessary. You see, if, if we do not explain this to people, when we witness to people, then our scheme of our gospel presentation is an error. John 16, verse 8 says this, And when He has come, talking about the Holy Spirit, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. This word reprove is the same word that is translated convict. It's the same word translated convince. The Spirit of God will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. You know what that means? Sin, what is sin? Righteousness, you have no righteousness. Judgment, God's going to judge you for it. Those three things, this is what the Holy Spirit is saying. You know how the Holy Spirit says it, says it to people? You know how? Do you know how? Guess. Through the lips that are on your face. That's how He does it. Because we tell them. The Spirit working in us tells them. So it says in verse 20, the law, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight because that's not its purpose. It cannot make anyone, anyone righteous. Now, look, if you would, look at Romans 7 real quick. Romans, Romans 7, verse number 7. Look at this. It says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay. I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, notice, notice the number of times the word known is used. By the law is a knowledge of sin. We know sin. The law provides the definition of sin. It sets the parameters of sin. It makes us to know what it is to be righteous or unrighteous, to know what conduct is good, what conduct is evil. And hey, in this world, is it not true? Is it not true? 
You see this stuff on, uh, it just it just so frustra- frustrates me in the light of everything that's been going on with Israel and the the uh, the Hamas terror attack. And I heard on the radio today, the, the, the commentator was saying, you know, people talk about good and evil and all these things. He says, you look at what Hamas did, that now that's evil, that's real evil. Well, I agree, it's wicked. But to say that is to neglect all the other evils. When the, I'm just be honest with you, when the same commentators that are saying that are unfaithful to their wives with the people they work with. Because that's violative of God's law too. How do we know? Because God said it in the law. You see, that's, it, the law tells us what's evil. So we pass over those commandments and concentrate on these commandments. But God says, hey, whoa. This is violative of my commandment too. Now I agree the degree might I agree that the degree might be different, but both are in violation of his commandments. So the law gives us knowledge. Look at verse number 12. Wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. You see that? That sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Notice in verse 13 in the middle it says, but sin that it might appear Sin. Here's the thing. There are many things that are wicked in God's sight that people have no idea. You know why? Because they've never been confronted with the law. They've never come to understand that God says that's wicked. And so they think it's okay. They think it's okay. But the law was brought in to make things appear. You see that? Appear sin to us. Not to God, but to us. And to make it, at the end of the verse, it says, exceeding sinful. Not only only to make it appear as it is, but to make us understand how bad it is. You see this guilt, conviction. This is what God's Word in the law is trying to do. All those mean old commandments, thou shalt, thou shalt not, all those mean things. God has a purpose in those, and it's a good purpose. Now look at Galatians 3. If you would, Galatians chapter 3, verse number 19. The Bible says this, Wherefore then serveth the law, verse 19. It was added because of transgressions. Now, before Moses came, was there sin? Think with me. Before Moses came and with the law, was there sin? Yeah, absolutely. People were people just like we they are now. Yes, sin existed. Men did bad things. All right? Notice it says it was added because of transgressions. In other words, there were sins. So what did God do? He added the law to make everybody know what the transgressions were and to make the transgressions seem as wicked as they really were. All right, I'm going somewhere with this, all right? Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. But now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. 
verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if, the, if there had been a law which could have given life, verily righteous, righteousness should have been by the law. You see this? The law cannot give life or righteousness. It's not possible. It's just not, that's not its purpose. The law only states God's standard. It does not provide or, or, or give any means or provisions for righteousness. It's a measuring stick by which we measure ourselves morally. Either you measure up to it, which proves you're righteous, or you don't, which proves you're not righteous. It's that simple. Right? I mean, as much as I want to be six feet, which actually I don't care, but say I cared. And if I held up uh, a tape measure at six feet, I either measure up or I don't. And if I don't measure up, I'm short. And if I do, I'm not. It's just that simple. This is what the law does. It's only a standard. Here's the problem. That our own wicked nature, what man is, what I talked about at the beginning, what man is prevents him from ever, ever being righteous. Ever meeting that standard. That's the problem. We have that wicked nature. You remember we were talking about, I asked you, was there sin in the world before Moses? Absolutely. Men had the same wicked nature as they have now, right? Correct. That nature that we all have, man and woman, little, little kids have it too. That nature that we have is the reason why we never reach that standard. It can't, we just can't. Sin always causes us to fall short of that standard. And not just by a little bit. And you know what some people have in, in Christianity, they've, they've, uh, they've invented new kinds of laws. Notice what it says. If there had been, verse number 21, if there had been a law given. Which, in other words, if not just law of Moses, but any law. Say people come up with a law, you know, religions, they develop all these laws, and they say, if you do this, this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, then you'll finally go to heaven. Any law, men won't keep it. They won't keep it because of the sin that's in us. Look at chapter 3. We're already there. Verse number 10. Listen to this. <clears throat> For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. This is a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. Why can't keeping the law make a person righteous? The law itself precludes that, doesn't allow it. Furthermore, look at what it says again in verse 10. Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law. It says, continue and all things. The Lord says that. Here's what this verse is saying. Now follow me. This verse is saying, not only have we sinned and broken God's law once. See, here's the problem. We look, we look upon that as, you know, oh yeah, all of us do. That's the way human beings look upon this, this matter. Yeah, yeah, we all sin. Yeah, mm-hmm. But God's, God adds something here. In Deuteronomy, he says this. Cursed is 
everyone that continueth not in all things, which are written in the book of law to do them. So that means, first of all, we're not talking about the big things of the law. We're talking about all of God's commandments. And secondly, so you can't pick and choose. We can't pick and choose and say, well, I've kept these. But yeah, these are lesser important. So no. no, he says, curses everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But second is it says continueth. You know what that means? That just doesn't mean today or tomorrow. That means you keep it for good. Now, we might be good, good little boys and girls, but there is not a good little boy and girl that keeps the commandments all the time. You see, this is, a, and, and here's the thing, that we all agree that's a high standard, but there's even more. What does it say if we do not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law? What does God pronounce? A what? A curse. Now, what is a curse? Now, we know what a sin is. A sin is a transgression of God's law. And that just means God draws a line and you cross it. That's what a transgression is. To transgress, to go over the line. All right? A sin is a transgression. A sin and a curse are not the same thing. A sin is a reference to something you do, a wrong that you do. And you know what? God can forgive sin. A curse comes upon a person because of sin. It is not the same. And a curse cannot be forgiven. The first mention of a curse, anybody remember? Adam and Eve. Two times in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, verse 17. Here's what happened. God cursed the ground. I don't want to get it wrong here. God cursed the ground. And God cursed the serpent. Now let me ask you something. Is there any take backs when God cursed them? To, cur to, to be cursed is a pronouncement of permanent punishment. When God cursed the ground to this day, these 6,000 years later, you know what? It is still cursed. There's no take backs. When a curse is pronounced, that is a pronouncement of permanent punishment. It's not something you can just like forgive. That's, that's what you have to understand about a curse. And when God says this, if you don't keep my law, Continue for all the time, everything I've said, you're under a curse. In other words, you have, I have upon, we have upon ourselves a curse, a pronouncement of judgment and condemnation, and there's nothing that can be done to take it away. Think about this is what God says in the law. And this is why Jesus had to die for us. God can't just willy-nilly, can, maybe he can forgive our sin, but there is no take-backs on a curse. The curse must be endured. And Jesus, as we saw on last, what was it? Uh, was it last Wednesday? Whenever it was. Jesus became a curse for us. He endured the curse that is pronounced upon us, the punishment we deserve. He took You see, 
without someone bearing our curse, we have to bear the curse. So Christ took our place. So it's not just a matter of Christ kept the law of righteousness in our place. Yes, it's not just that Christ became sin for us. Yes, but he also went all the way to become, he also, he also endured the curse for us. All the way to the punishment. So what have we learned tonight? There's one other passage I want to look at very quickly. Number one, the law was given, given to Israel. Number two, the law is holy and good and just. We read that. Number, number three, the law gives people the knowledge of sin. Number four, the law's purpose is to make guilty, not provide righteousness. Now, if you would go to Exodus 20, and this is where we'll conclude. Verse 1. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Verse 7, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Sick. I'll skip that just for time's sake. Verse number 12, Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, thou sh- nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. This is what we call the Ten Commandments. Here's the issue. The reason I went through all that if we study the Ten Commandments, is this. People think that if the Ten Commandments are good and they show what is right and wrong, good, that's right. But they think, you know, if I just really try hard to keep God's commandments, to keep these Ten Commandments, and I really really set my heart and mind to doing, to, to following these commandments the best I can, then God will be okay with me. I'll be good. I'll be righteous. And that's wrong. It's just dead wrong. Those commandments that God that God is, have, has given that God gave to Israel are a measuring stick of God's righteousness. They show us what God's standard is. They show us what is good and evil. They show us what is righteousness and unrighteousness. And then the Lord wants us to take that standard and look in the mirror and see if we have measured up. That's what He wants us to do with Him. These commandments... Each one of them is, is important, is, is valuable. 
it shows us a great deal about the Lord and his standard of righteousness that, listen, even as a believer, is really important for us to understand. But the primary reason God gave these is so we would look at ourselves and we could see our own sinfulness. We could see that we are guilty and ultimately that we could see that we need another solution for righteousness. It cannot come from us. This is what the Ten Commandments is all about. People look at the Ten Commandments and they think, that's, that's so nice, we ought to put it above the courthouse. Put it! We ought to have a monument. Put the monument. But if you think, if I think that somehow our attempts at keeping the Ten Commandments is going to make us righteous, we are sorely mistaken. And you know what? That's exactly what the Jews in our day believe. Do they not, Sister Paula? They think they are righteous because they attempt to keep God's commandment. But the standard is not attempting. The standard is keeping, continuing in all things, you see. The law has a, has, a, has a perfect use for us. Even as a New Testament believer, these things matter. These things are the basis for, for all of the New Testament teaching. But we have to understand its purpose to begin. Let's pray.